If you can ignore part of the Bible and claim another part of the Bible, you may as well do what Thomas Jefferson did and just rip out pieces of it. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. This month marks the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Some of you are scared to death. He's about to give a history lesson today. No, no. Just to talk about the significance of what it means to believe the Word of God for the Word of God. To believe that faith in and of itself is sufficient to bring someone to Christ. That it is grace alone. That it is Christ Jesus alone. And that it is the glory of God alone. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is enough. Better part of 2,000 years, the church has struggled to believe that. And when the Protestant Reformation began, it was over the issue over whether or not the Word of God was authoritative, that it was the one that took first place, and that it was sufficient, that the Bible really had all of the answers for life and eternity, was reliable. And in a sense, that's always been the question for God's people, is the Word of God enough? The era in which Martin Luther grew up was dominated by the church. And when we talk about the church, I want to differentiate between the big C and the little C. We all believe in the Catholic church. Little C. Catholic just means universal. We believe there's a universal church. We believe there's a church meaning at Mount Eden and Blackford and Lewisport and Indiana and this country all over the world. What we take issue with is the big C, which is the Roman church. And the issue that we take with our brothers and sisters in the Roman church is primarily over doctrine. And there's three primary areas, I think, if a, if, if a Catholic were to describe them to you, where the church derives its authority. Number one is the Bible, with the added books of the Apocrypha. We'll talk about that in a second. Number two is the magistrate, which is the, the history of the church. So church history plays a substantial role. And number three is the papacy, from which they take Matthew, where Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom they believe to Peter in a process known as apostolic succession. We would argue that the rock is Christ. But there was a bigger problem going on in that day, and the problem was that the people could not read the Word of God in their own language. They didn't have it translated into German or English or French or Pig Latin or any other language. The only language they had it translated into was the Church of Rome, Latin, the Vulgate. And so the priest would stand before the people and read the scripture and preach the sermons and give the eulogies in Latin. And so not only could you not read the word of God for yourself, but you couldn't understand what was being said. And Martin Luther came into the middle of all of this, having grown up earnest for the things of God, having had an experience where he was struck by lightning, calling out to St. Anne and saying, if I'll be saved from this, I'll become a monk, going into the monastery, trying to find where he could find forgiveness for his sins. He made a pilgrimage to Rome, climbed the steps on his knees, did everything that he could in his power and still could not find peace and rest for his soul. 
So he began to search the scriptures. He was a popular teacher in Wittenberg, the university there of his day. And as he began to teach, another issue struck him that he felt had to be addressed. And that was the issue of indulgences. And in order to build St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, which is the largest church of the day, supposedly built on the site of St. Peter's martyrdom. You remember tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down. Hugely expensive project, and in order to aid that and other church projects, indulgences began to be sold. And indulgences worked in this way. If you had a loved one who was in purgatory, which is kind of the in-between state, you're not quite in heaven, you're not quite out of hell, you're waiting to get out, you're waiting to be prayed out, you're waiting to be worked out. They said that if you will purchase these indulgences on earth, then you can gain the freedom of your friends and family members in purgatory. And so if you can imagine not knowing whether or not your loved one made it into heaven. Well, I, I don't know. I know the life they lived. But I'm not sure if it was good or bad. And then someone comes along and says, you can purchase these indulgences. Well, it sounds like a, a pretty good deal. It was a manipulation on, on the part of the church of the day. And the line was that whenever the church coffer rings, a soul in purgatory springs. And for Martin Luther... That was the final straw for him. And so he went and took what he had learned and protested it and grabbed a hammer and some nails and took 95 theses, posted it to the church door at Wittenberg, Germany. And it wasn't unique that he posted it to the door for that was where arguments were often made. What was unique was what he said. Here's what he said. Christ did not call us to the sale of indulgences, but to the gospel. And he who gives to the poor or lends to the needy is better than he who buys indulgences because the just shall live by faith. And upon doing that, the Protestant Reformation was ignited. How is the word of God enough? And the answer is pretty simple, because it's always been enough. God speaks to us through a word. He speaks and the universe was created. God says, let there be light and there was light. Something comes out of nothing. He tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He tells us thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word, shall not pass away. God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces for the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces hearts and it changes lives. And Hebrews 1.3 tells us that by God's own decree, Jesus himself is holding the very universe together simply by the word of his power. And so God speaks to us through his voice, through personal address. Tell them that I am that I am hath sent me. You'll have a son. And his words are to be obeyed. He speaks through human lips, through the voices of angels. And then he speaks in written form through his word. And Paul at one point will tell the church of his day that this word is not simply written for their sake from years ago. It's written for our sake John, at the end of his gospel, says all these miracles, all these stories about Jesus were recorded. He said, we could tell you a lot more, but these were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
we believe in the canon of Scripture. And canon is not the weaponry of the ancient world. It's not the technique that you use to jump into a swimming pool. That's a cannonball. Instead, it's the 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. How do we get those? And we know something even greater than that. Ultimately, the Word isn't simply what's written down, but the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. For as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How do we know these words are from God? Well, the earliest collection we have is straight-up dictation. It comes from the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down off the mountain, he's got the Ten Commandments, sees what the people are doing, throws them down, has to go back up the mountain. Forty days, gone. And then we have people who served as scribes or Masoretes, and they literally Xeroxed the Old Testament. They didn't have a copy machine, so they wrote it down from generation to generation to generation. They took it very, very seriously. They taught penmanship back then. It might be a good idea to do it today. And about 400 B.C., all of the writings stop. They just cease. It's, it's like you're reading the prequel to what's about to take place, and the movie cuts out. And you don't hear anything. No prophets, no priest, no words, nothing at all. And it's this in-between time that the Catholic Church brings in what's known as the Apocrypha. It's those books of in-between. We don't believe those words, although helpful, we don't believe they have the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Well, in the New Testament, the writings begin with the apostles. And so you have them written over the apostles or over associates of the apostles, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John. And then the New Testament epistles. Jesus promises his disciples that they will one day remember his words and then they will write them down. And these apostles claim the same authority that is equal to an Old Testament prophet. And so for a book to belong, it has to have divine authorship. So how do you know what to include in the Bible? How do you know to include these letters rather than the letter that you wrote to grandma last week? Why, is these, why are these letters better than that letter? Three reasons. One, it gave witness and evidence of the Holy Spirit. And the church recognized that. Scripture will not contradict itself. The best way to interpret one passage of Scripture is in the light of all Scripture. So it gave witness of the Spirit. Number two, it was written by an apostle or an associate of the apostle, one who had seen the Lord or been with one who had seen the Lord. And three, and here's where the congregational aspect comes in, it was affirmed by the early churches. And so even from the early areas, these, these 66 books begin to come together, the 27 in the New Testament specifically. And some would ask, well, all of these books that come out, so you have a, a movie written about the Gospel of Judas or supposedly the Gospel of Thomas or whatever, and people will make millions of dollars off of a book or a film like the Da Vinci Code because some new text of God has been discovered. Can I just ask you something? Will God ever withhold what is good from you if it's for your good? Do you think God somehow missed out after 2,000 years to give you his word? 
So not only do we look for this evidence, but we also see the witness of the Spirit working in this. We believe that Scripture has an authority, that the Word of God by itself is enough. And we believe that all Scripture is God's Word. You cannot treat Scripture like a buffet line. Some people will say, well, these words are more important than others. We should pay attention to the words of Christ because they're in red. Listen, brothers and sisters, the words of Christ are throughout this Bible. It ought all to be in red. And if you can ignore part of the Bible and claim another part of the Bible, you may as well do what Thomas Jefferson did and just rip out pieces of it and determine what you believe and become your own authority. I want you to notice how Jesus views the scripture. Jesus constantly says in the gospels, it is written. He constantly refers to the Old Testament and he doesn't have a copy of the Old Testament in front of him, by the way. They're in the synagogue. He's quoting the Old Testament. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And so far from seeing Scripture authority as a curse, Jesus sees it as a blessing. So we see God speaking through his Old Testament prophets. Thus says the Lord. We see the Holy Spirit confirming this word. He will tell us, my sheep hear my voice. They know that the words are mine. We also argue that scripture is sufficient of itself. We use something that came out of the Reformation known as the analogy of faith. That is the best interpretation of scripture is scripture. You have to interpret the text within his within its own context. And you can really twist scripture to however you want it to be unless you look at the word of God through the lens of all of the word of God. And some would say, well, that's a circular argument. Why are you basing your authority on a book? Because everybody has a basis of authority. Either the government is your base of authority, you hope in Washington your job is your place of authority, or worse than all of this, you are your own base of authority and you trust in your word more than God's word. Everyone trusts in something. So how do we receive God's word? Well, God's word doesn't always mean dictation. It uses personalities and training and background. And if scripture is God's word, it demands obedience. Blessed is he who keeps my word and does them. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. And then we have an obligation to preach the word. And listen to this. I have no authority of myself, and if anyone comes up here and does not give you the word of God, you throw them out, because they have no business standing behind the pulpit preaching to God's people apart from God's word. We believe it has that much value for us. We believe that Scripture is true, that every word of God is true. We also believe that Scripture is inerrant. That is, the Bible is the final standard of truth. We don't believe that any new fact or any discovery will ever contradict Scripture. So people watch the History Channel and they say, well, maybe if they discover the Holy Grail, maybe if they discover the Ark of the Covenant, that will prove that the Word of God is true. Jesus doesn't need our help with that. It it is true and it will be true and nothing will ultimately contradict the scripture when it's played out on the final day. Scripture is inerrant. In its original manuscripts, in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, 
Greek of the New Testament. That means it does not contradict itself. Anything the Bible speaks to is true. Doesn't mean the Bible speaks to everything, but it, because it doesn't. But what it does speak to, it's true. It's inerrant, and yet it speaks in ordinary languages. And so Paul sometimes will get on a train of thought, and there's run-on sentences everywhere. All the Greek is capitalized. There's no punctuation marks in the original. But it is true. How do we know that the Word of God is the Word of God for us? We believe that the Word of God can be interpreted by every believer. It's called the priesthood of the believer. At one point, John will say, you don't need a teacher. You've got, you got a teacher inside of you. Now, we know that some parts of Scripture are easier to, to understand than others. But God has made Scripture understandable for all of His children. And most of the New Testament is written to congregations. It would have been read out loud. They wouldn't have had a copy of the Word of God. So it's important that we read Scripture publicly. Remember, sometimes Jesus' own disciples did not understand because they had not received all of the revelation. Sometimes it's due to our own lack of faith or our hardness of heart. Sometimes it's due to disagreements. You think, why are all the denominations here today? But we believe that Scripture will speak to the people of God when they listen in the Spirit of God. Not only is Scripture inerrant, not only is it authoritative, it's necessary, it's sufficient. The Bible tells us that then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It tells us that all of these people who went before us died in faith. It's not just for knowing that God exists. It's not just for knowing moral laws. It is for the salvation of your soul. And you can find the answers of life. Search the scriptures, the Bible tells us, for in them you think you have life. To read the Bible for what it is as the word of God. This is what 1 Thessalonians 1.13 says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What a precious gift we have. God will never say anything contrary to his word. This scripture, he tells us, is God-breathed. The word there is, is pneuma. You think of pneumonia, someone who has trouble breathing. God-breathed. Just as he breathes into man the breath of life, so he breathes into his word, the breath of his very spirit. Because what was written in earlier times is given for us. And so how do we respond to God's word being the word of God? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. He says we are to read God's word for doctrine. God's word dictates what we believe. We don't come up with our own set of belief systems. We base it on what is in God's word. Any authority outside of God's word is a false authority. We read God's word for reproof. God's word reads you better than any book ever could. And you realize that the basic problem with the world is not other people. It's our own hearts. It's the human heart. Read God's word for correction. God's word teaches us how to repent and it teaches us how to be restored. And it says anyone who will come to Christ in faith and repentance will have life. Read God's word for instruction. God's word teaches us how to live. Teaches us how to live in righteousness. Scripture enables men and women of God to meet the requirements of God and the strength of God. Everything you need for life is found in God's Word. It'll strengthen you. It'll 
equip you. It'll sustain you. Word of God is enough. It's enough at the death of loved ones. Remember, riding with my pastor in the middle of the night as his sister had passed away, walking into the nursing home, seeing her lifeless body. The first thing he did was quote scripture and sing a hymn and pray. It's enough. It's enough when you feel like your world is falling apart, when a spouse is no more, either through death or through divorce, when you feel like your parents have gone on, my father or mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. It's enough when you feel abandoned. Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world, and at my first defense, no one stood with me. But then he said, but the Lord stood with me. It will strengthen you. It will equip you. It will sustain you. And and listen to me. If you will determine to be a person of this book, to do everything that it says and not to do anything that it doesn't say, you will live a blessed life. I promise you, if you will do it in the strength of Christ, the great challenge of our age and every age is to get people to simply take God at his word. So we need to know this book. We need to study this book. We need to meditate on this book because when you see a Bible that's falling apart, it's usually carried around by somebody who's not. How easy it is to focus on everything else but the word of life. He says this is where it's at, in his word. You know, we fought this in our own church hundred years ago, if you look at the church minutes, the church split over doctrine, which is worth splitting over, by the way. It's better than splitting over the color of the carpet or the flavor of the Kool-Aid. But there were some in this church who believed the Word of God, and there were some here who didn't believe the Word of God. The majority who didn't left. The ones who did stayed. They didn't have any money. They didn't have anything left. They had 10 people. Turn of the century, 1900s. God bless them for that. We experienced that even within our own denomination. There were people within the Southern Baptist Convention who said, you know, let's just go along with everybody else. Let's not take God at his word. They wouldn't say it in that language, of course. And they said, let's just do our thing. Let's appeal to the culture. And there were men and women who stood on the truth and said, we are going to believe that God's word is God's word. And even if it means we don't have a denomination, even if it means we don't have buildings and money and people and everything else, we will not compromise the word of God. That's what he calls us to be. I remember having this conversation with a professor at Western. She was the head of the English department. Very kind, very, very kind woman, very, very gifted at what she did, knew her stuff. I remember I, I wrote an essay. It was on one of the, one of the British poets. And in, in writing this essay, it was about five pages on a particular response. I wrote just a little bit of the background of this author's life saying perhaps he wrote this because of what he experienced. And I turned that in and she took me aside after class and she said, what the author said doesn't matter. He said, really, it's just what you think it means. And I thought, no, what the author wrote and said does matter because he's writing that out of his experiences. He's writing that out of his truth. And brothers and sisters, we better be careful that we don't read the Word of God like that. Well, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? It doesn't matter what we think it means. What did God intend for it to mean? Because He's the author. He's the one who put it down. And I am convinced 
That if Jesus were to walk in this room right now, and we know that His presence is here gathered among His saints, but if Jesus were to walk in this room physically in person and do a Q&A with everybody in here, and they were to ask all of these questions, I am convinced with everything I've got that He would tell us, I've given you everything you need to know in my word. And He's left us with it. So let's be people of the book. Let's let this book read us better than any book ever could. And let's determine to know and to live by the Word of God. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.